0: Today is Monday, July 26th, 2021. On this day in 2009, Nigerian-based militant Islamist group, Boko Haram, launched an attack on a city police station. The violence kicked off five days of unrest that would become known as the Boko Haram Uprising.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness
0: Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions and depictions of violence that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the start of a five-day war against the Nigerian government launched by the terrorist group Boko Haram. Let's go back to the Dutsin Tanshi area of Bauchi, Nigeria, on July 26, 2009. For years, authorities seemingly ignored rumors about Boko Haram arming themselves. But when they finally arrested nine leaders of the organization, police found an alarming stockpile of firearms, grenades, and homemade explosives. The group had enough weapons to equip a small army. It was a major wake-up call, but it came too late. Because once news of the arrests reached the other leaders in Boko Haram, they fought back. It was a shocking turn of events. Boko Haram was originally the brainchild of a man named Muhammad Yusuf. Starting in the 90s, Yusuf preached that the Nigerian government was perverting its people with Western influences. In 2002, he founded Boko Haram, a name that has been popularized by the press and loosely translates to, Western education is forbidden. The extremists had one purpose, to purify Nigeria, incite anger against the government, and establish an Islamic state. Publicly, Yusuf was firm, yet apparently nonviolent, but to his congregation, he promoted a nationwide jihad. Relative peace between Boko Haram and Nigeria lasted years while Yusuf grew his brainwashed flock. Boko Haram spread throughout the northeast of the country, essentially taking over the city of Maiduguri within the Borno state. As time passed, Yusuf felt pressure to deliver on his doomsday promises. By 2009, he was ordering his people to amass any sort of weapons they could get their hands on. He swore the war against the corrupt Nigerian government was coming. In the weeks before July 26th, he found the perfect moment to kick things off. Tensions rose after police pulled a group of young men over at a stoplight in Maida They were on their way to bury a friend, but were riding their motorcycles without proper headgear. The young men refused the citation. They were Boko Haram, as was the surrounding neighborhood. To them, the police were foot soldiers for the secular devil ruining Nigeria. The argument escalated, guns were drawn, and police fired on the young men, wounding several. As they carted off the bleeding Boko Haram followers, authorities started to fear the rumors about the group's dark side might actually be true. Those events led to a government-led raid targeting the group's leadership on July 26th. They wanted to test the waters, and with all the weapons they found, they realized the organization was serious about taking on Nigerian forces. Authorities hoped that the arrests and weapon seizures would quell any thoughts of an armed uprising. But the victory didn't last. Word got out about the arrests, and within hours, Yusuf ordered dozens of Boko Haram fighters to attack the police station in Bauchi. The uprising he'd promised had finally arrived. His devotees attacked the station with handguns and grenades, meaning to destroy the security forces with overwhelming might. But despite their numbers, the irregular battalion was made up of inexperienced boys and young men with shoddy equipment. The police force fought back with superior firepower. It wasn't long before they repelled the attack, killing dozens in the process. Afterward, security forces tore through local neighborhoods, flushing out Boko Haram members and supporters. By sundown, the fighting had stopped. Police arrested a large number of citizens, wounding several in the process. Security forces reportedly only lost one soldier and two police officers in the initial fighting, but killed at least 39 attackers. Authorities wanted a decisive end to the violence. They hoped that such an absolute defeat would put an end to the terrorist dreams of a coup. But the Boko Haram uprising was only just beginning. Up next, the war with Boko Haram rages for four more days.
2: Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Haigman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath, from murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed, confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from ParCast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be with a personalized plan and expert coaching anytime fitness can help make the gym less frightening get more for your gym membership than machines get personalized support anytime anywhere visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today terms conditions and restrictions apply see website for details
0: now back to the story on july 26th 2009 Terrorist gang Boko Haram launched an attack on a Nigerian police station. They sought to advance their goal of reshaping Nigeria into an Islamic state. Security forces retaliated against the Boko Haram community in Bauchi, killing dozens and arresting hundreds. One Bauchi state governor praised the police aggression as a successful preemptive tactic to stop violence. The governor asked the people for their patience, declaring the situation was completely under control. This would turn out to be untrue, as the terrorist leader, Mohammed Yusuf, escalated his holy war across Northern Nigeria. The next day in Yobe state, a police station burned to the ground as security forces battled armed militants in the streets. In Wudil, terrorists reportedly pulled drivers from cars and executed them in front of crowds. All over the north, motorcyclist gunmen launched hit-and-run attacks on police. In Maidaguri, Boko Haram's hometown, Yusuf's followers attacked a prison, hoping to release the leaders who were arrested in the weeks leading up to the uprising. Throughout the city, gunmen set Christian churches on fire. Around 4,000 civilians had to abandon their homes to flee the violence. The fiercest battle was in Maidaguri. Accounts indicate that at least 100 people were killed in one exchange alone, with most being Boko Haram. It was clear that the Nigerian government had not broken the terrorists' will to fight. For the next two days, they escalated their counterattacks. On July 29th, Nigerian soldiers raided Yusuf's two-and-a-half-mile-long mosque compound. By the end, soldiers are thought to have killed around an additional 100 Boko Haram warriors, but Yusuf had slipped away somehow. The military commander still claimed the raid was successful and demolished the compound. Meanwhile, soldiers attacked mosques and neighbors that allegedly shielded Yusuf and his warriors. The tactics started to spread fear into the hearts of Boko Haram members, supporters, and innocent Muslims as well. Men started shaving their beards so the security forces wouldn't come after them. On July 30th, another bloodbath took place. Press and civilians recorded security forces lining up groups of detained Boko Haram fighters. With onlookers watching, they executed the captives and robbed the bodies afterward. Before the morning was finished, the army had Yusuf in captivity. They allegedly tortured him for hours. At some point during the day, he was killed after being shot multiple times. Officials claimed he had either died in a gunfight or trying to escape, but many believed it was an extrajudicial murder. Handcuffs still linked his wrists behind his back. With their leader dead and their community in tatters, Boko Haram retreated into obscurity. The loss of life in the four-day uprising was estimated between 700 and 1,000. Most were militants. In the following weeks, police released hundreds of women and children who were held hostage by the terrorist group. A few civilians died by police gunfire, including Yusuf's estranged father-in-law. According to his family, he tried to help restore order, but was executed along with his son-in-law's militants. Government spokespersons declared that these killings were unjust, but due to the high body count and chaos, justice would be painfully slow to arrive. A year later in July 2010, cars and vans filled with armed soldiers patrolled Borno neighborhoods. Northern Nigeria prepared for an attack after a video surfaced of Yusuf's former deputy, Abu Bakar Shikau. He declared vengeance for his fallen brothers. The video also showed Boko Haram soldiers training in a secret desert camp. For the next decade onward, the organization attacked banks, churches, and Muslim clergy. They increased their hostage-taking as well, kidnapping women and children for suicide bombing missions. Nigerian anti-terrorist forces also evolved. The newly formed Joint Security Task Force curbed ongoing attacks after 2015. However, the JTF have since been accused of numerous human rights violations, including robbery, destruction of homes, and secret executions. Although Youssef's former deputy, Abu Bakr Shakao died in a suicide bombing in May of 2021, Peace remains elusive in Nigeria, with an estimated 1,500 Boko Haram militants operating through underground cells, the Global Terrorism Index has named the organization as one of the deadliest terrorist groups in the world. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson.